0: I'm Sonia Morton Firth, and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today my guest is Chris Thraw. After leaving the Royal Marines, having served in Northern Ireland, Chris moved to Hong Kong. Six months later, he was homeless, addicted to crystal meths, and working as a nightclub doorman for Hong Kong's most ruthless triad. After a moment of enlightenment, Chris now helps others and has raised thousands for charities. Watch this interview as we talk about drugs, psychosis, spiritual enlightenment, and living every experience life has to offer. Hey, Chris, and welcome to the Sonia Morton Firth Show, and thank you for being a guest on my show. And I wish you were here in person. How are you doing today?
1: Yes, wonderful. Um, Wonderful.
0: Now, there's there's just... So listen, Chris, and I said this to you before, I mean, all I can say is what, what a life. I mean, I, I was reading up and you doing some research and I'd suggest anyone that's listening to this, go out and do absolutely the same. I don't actually know where to start. I was like, God, where do we start with you? What you're doing at the moment, your background. So I just want to, the first thing I want to ask you is, because you, you were a Royal Marine Commando. What, what, what started? Why did you want to join the military? Let's, let's start there.
1: Okay. So I was homeless living in my car. Uh, I think it was the second time I've been homeless in my, uh, in my life. And, um, so what, well, I was 17, 18. And my friend, Dan, His father was a a sergeant major in the Falklands conflict, right? So, quite a legendary figure in the Royal Marines. So, when Dan and I left school, and I think I passed two exams and failed all the rest, um, he did likewise. And he went off and did something called the PRMC, the Potential Royal Marines Course. And it's a three day, basically, blast at the Commando Training Centre in Limston, in Devon, where they put you through three days of full bore, full on instruction into like, this is Royal Marines life. Mm-hmm. You know, you do all the assault courses, the endurance course. The, um, they're looking for you to show teamwork. You, you, you listen to military exercises. You, you've got to go up on the high diving board. And just when the instructor says you just got a full fall backwards like we see on that um, ant middleton's sas program and it was um it's an amazing experience for me passing that was better than actually passing the eight months of grueling training and getting my my green lid right and so dan had passed it and he came around knocks on my car window or where, wherever I was at the time went, i've just joined the Royal marines but you could never do it <laughs> <laughs> and not having had the most stable of uh, upbringings, hence the fact I'm in my car at 17.
0: I was just about. I say, what? How did you get into that situation?
1: Well, without kind of re going over my childhood, which I do, I kind of get asked to do in every podcast, which what is happened? understand
0: it's quite interesting what do you not like is it because is, is it does it bring up stuff that you don't want to talk about no
1: it's nothing about that Sonia it's just it's so many different things so first of all I don't believe in bad experiences I just believe in experiences hmm. okay C- that clean makes by,
0: life, life. <laughs> by your life yeah we'll come on to just
1: that. it just makes life brilliant then you can have something that ordinary people go, oh, that was awful. And you're going, no, it wasn't. It's fine. And I'm still here and I'm still smiling and I'm, I'm going to take, take the lessons I learned with me. Right. So that's kind of like, uh, you know, I've done, in, 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 am I allowed to show you my first memoir?
0: You Cause... absolutely are. Go for it. In fact, if we were sitting here, I'd have it in front of me.
1: Uh, there we go. That's okay. eating smoke, right. That was my um, the story of how after the Marines, I became chronically addicted to crystal methamphetamine. I entered something that's not, that's called clinical psychosis. So I'd, to use a, a, an improper term, I, I'd gone mad. Um, incidentally, <laughs> I, whilst this is going on, I, I got a job working in a nightclub run by one of Hong Kong's um, triad families, which just added a whole level of bizarreness on a already bizarre situation um but the reason I mention it Sonia is like I didn't want to write another feel sorry for me memoir
0: mm.
1: I didn't want to be pointing stuff at people in my child and going that person there and you know because um met well some of these people are dead like I'm talking school teachers now um but some of them are people that I've forgiven you know
0: Absolutely. Appreciate. And that, that's so important for you to, and for anyone to forgive people to, to move on in their lives. And and I guess to recognize, like you say, the experiences are all part of you um, and part of building who you were. Because I guess, and, and that it probably leads to my next question had you not been in that, in your car homeless, would you have joined the Royal Marines? Would you have gone on to lead the life that you've led? Is it all? you know, we find ourselves in these positions. And does one position lead to another?
1: Yes, massively. So um, I think the point I was making is my friend telling me I couldn't do it was like I'd had enough people telling me what I couldn't couldn't do in my my short 17 years. and And I didn't you know obviously this was a reaction against it him saying i couldn't do it so i went to the recruiting office and i just um you don't sign on the dotted line in the marines you jump up on a pull-up bar and they expect you to do what i've subsequently find found out is at least three pull-ups right i did 29 and the guy's like right get down get down get down and i thought ah i failed." should have done more. (laughs) Didn't realise, Sonia, that no, you know, most guys struggled to get five or six done, right? So so that was it. Um, Off I went to the commander training centre and um, it's quite funny at this stage in my life because I'm very anti-war. I'm very anti the way our troops have been exploited in the last 20 years. Um, But the other side of the coin is being a Royal Marine is an experience that that really s- set me up for life. I'm not going to say it was all good because I'd be a liar, it, it, it's not. There's a lot of downsides of being in the British military. Um, but now when I look back, it's I'm kind of glad I did it is, is, is what I'm trying to say. But for young people now, Having to join up when they've got just twenty years of illegal conflicts to look back at, it, it they're in a dilemma. For me, we just thought we were the good guys. When I was eighteen, like you join the military because you know Britain is good and our government love us, and they wouldn't send us into harm's way to make some sociopathic American banking families,
0: rich. you know, even <laughs> rich more.
1: Are even more ultra richer than than, um, than they already are, right? That we were naive. Now, youngsters got the internet. They've only got to type in, you know, building seven, and they're like, what? Re- really? Just
0: um, take me back to something you said, um, and you obviously know much more about this than me. I mean, I've, I've interviewed a, f- a few veterans, and and you know, I my. I've got a passion to help veterans as well. And I hear their stories and I'm just fascinated by the, the fact that these guys have stepped up and they, they, their, their mentality is still to serve and help people. And that's the sort of mindset I've, I've sort of always been attracted to. Or what is that mindset? But you just said um, right, right, you, you don't like war. Do, do, do people sign up because they like war? Is that, is that why you think guys
1: sign up and I'm saying guys it could be guys and girls as well no 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 I don't think anyone and, and, unless you're probably a bit of a psychopath I mm-hmm. don't think you really you join up knowing that if you join the forces you there's a good chance you're going to get sent well if there's a war you're yeah. pretty much going to get sent right yeah. no I just make the kind of you know, the reason I make such points is I believe in enlightenment, Sonia. It's been a very big part of my life. It's enabled me to just get rid of all the um, neg- negativity in my life. It's allowed me to see the world for the way it is. It's allowed me to be a better parent. So it's allowed me to wake up every day, every single day, without fail, smiling. Um and it's allowed me to achieve every single goal that I ever had as that damaged youngster. Whether that's you know becoming a pilot, becoming a qualified skydiver, writing best-selling books, living, working, traveling in eighty-seven countries across all seven continents, being a polar scuba diver, Antarctic explorer. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm not saying this to blow my trumpet. No, I
0: no, I, I listen. I've, I've, I've read your story. It's I'm absolutely say- phenomenal.
1: Yeah, I'm saying it to stress the importance of you've got to see the wood for the trees in this life. And if all you do is watch mainstream media, you're just gonna live a life of delusion, and you're never gonna know who you are or what you're capable of. And
0: I could I couldn't agree more. And 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 you know I've I've made. Well, I, I don't watch the media anywhere. I don't watch mainstream news. I don't watch that at all. Um, you know, occasionally I've put it on during this this weirdness we're going through, and just thought, oh my god, I can't watch it. No, uh, I want You you mentioned the word enlightenment, which I think is, a, is it, it's a pretty big word. Well, it's a long word. But what does that actually mean to you? And the where where did you? where was where did you find that I mean you've had this amazing life of doing everything that you've ever wanted to do Um, and I want to go back we'll go back through the story but this word enlightenment I I love it and and what does it mean to you
1: oh gosh what a great question I wish every podcaster asked me questions like this (laughs) (laughs) okay so just I'm just going to chuck chuck this out they just can i just clarify about the war thing it's that you know you got to see the way in life you can't let the sociopaths who own all of the mainstream media um you know dictate to you what what you believe and, and what you should believe and, and what your actions and what i what i've come to believe is or what i've come to see because i read a lot I study history and I'm, love to watch um documentaries, I love to get alternative viewpoints, is that war is a racket. It's just a racket. I'm I'm not saying that there's never been a conflict, perhaps like the Falklands, where you know someone had been invaded and they, they needed helping out, right? I'm not, I'm not like gonna dispute that. But and so long as we keep buying into that racket, which only makes a certain I call them the sociopaths on you, right? or the Babylonian money mafia, these money men that have been doing this for thousands of years, they're incredibly clever at controlling the whole matrix, right? Which comes back to the the question you just asked me. And until we start to see it for what it is, and how they fish us in 24-7, 365, with their uh, incredibly sophisticated mind games, then all we are doing is condemning our children to just further bloodshed, war, misery, ill health, lack of, um, you know, lack of uh, uh, achievement in life. You know, you work the 40-year plan behind a computer screen, taking you two weeks in the summer, and that's your lot in life. You, you
0: It's crazy, up... and people don't question it. That's the quick... That's the worst thing. It's like you, you, you know, we're put through this education system that's, to be honest, a load of bollocks. And I'm not knocking the teachers or anything like that. It's what we're teaching our kids, you know, out of the wealth of information that they could be could be provided and needed. To my mind, we're just t- teaching them <laughs> pretty much rubbish. And- yeah,
1: well, it's an indoctrination, not an education, isn't it? They, they. they- so, so to go back to your question about enlightenment. So uh, we're, as we're born as humans, we have a left side of the brain and we have a right. Our left brain is your kind of, let's call it your functional, like needs, to, likes being told what to do, likes queuing up, likes order, you know, it, it's generally going to s- assume that somebody in authority is good, you know, they, they've got your best in, you know, this is kind of left brain right brain is the side of the brain where you develop empathy understanding intuition rationality you have the ability to look at a situation and not just dive into the let's call it the left hand side of that you know one part of that narrative and go oh bloomin', you know and 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 you hear when you start hearing people use terms like oh he's a brutal dictator and and all these cliches that the sociopaths put into their media to just get people to regurgitate and repeat and let's not talk about the current situation because we'll we'll both get ourselves in trouble but you know there's never been a more a more perfect example of just repetition of left brain thinking right it's it, let's call it non non-thinking
0: it's not it is non-thinking i i, yeah. I agree and, and it's you know you you just ch- just put the, the box on the tv on and, and that's all that
1: it, it's a brainwash right it, yes it's a bra- it's a brainwash and people um, we you know you can, you can call it many things a lot of people refer to it as the matrix you know and when you're in the matrix you don't realize you're in it so uh, this is your reality well i was really lucky in as far as my uh, addiction was driving me to, to death, I was going to die, on you, you know, you, you can only stick needles in your arms 12 times a day for so long before either your, your, your health is going to give out or, or you're going to have an accident, right? Should, should
0: we go so, back to that? Oh, I'll, I'll let you finish. Sorry. Yeah. Me, because I'm dying to explore that.
1: So nature is very clever in these circumstances. I know it sounds uh, incredible to hear, but it really is. And what happens is, is you get to a point in that addiction where everything is just an all-time low. I mean, to give some examples, your physical health is suffered, your mental health is shattered, your your sense of self is, is smashed to hell. Your your um, the way society treats you is 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 just nothing um, short of awful. You can't feed yourself because your your psychology is so programmed to keep wanting to take. In my case, it was a drug, but for some people, it could be shopping, sex, gambling, you alcohol. know, whatever it alcohol, whatever it might be. Um and eventually you your life gets ground down to this very deep, deep dark point where you are incredibly lonely I was physically shivering cold my family couldn't could no longer deal with me so I hadn't seen them for for months all my friends just went and to be honest I I don't know if I actually blame them you know how I was kind of in this bubble you know this is what I did right Uh, my house was just smashed to hell luckily I still kept the roof over my head uh but only you know only just and in that very deep dark moment I that was my enlightenment Sonia you know I literally woke up shivering one day the light was shining through the blinds in my front room and I hadn't been to you know bed I mean I hadn't been to bed for year and a half i just slept on a shitty sofa bed in, in a in a sleeping bag that i'd stolen from a heroin dealer um and i just i you know it was just it was just a period of my life right it was it just was <laughs> i'm probably not selling it very well you know my my, my fortnightly shop was one pound 87. i had to feed myself for two weeks with less than two quid right
0: well that doesn't get you a cup of coffee
1: yeah yeah exactly back then you could get like a a, a 27p loaf like white sliced oh, yeah. bread the, the
0: disgusting the stuff like that's like soft yeah cut, like you could wheat.
1: you could get a big tub of margarine which was you know like 17p or so. um so, yes, yeah, to go back to the Enlightenment in suddenly in one single moment and there was a whole range of circumstance that brought this moment in my life about, you know, it were lots of things. I, I can hear the children in my street playing football outside and kids not being judgmental like adults. They used to think the world of me, Sonia, you know, I was they'd come and knock on the door. Chris, you're going to come, come and play football. And I was like the only adult in a whole housing estate that ever gave time for any of the children in the community. I mean, I'm now a qualified youth worker, but I wasn't even that, I wasn't even that then. I just saw it as like, you know, I didn't want to be that adult that kids are afraid of. And when I was a kid, it's like you were afraid of pretty much all adults. Mm
0: -hmm. They
1: were pretty, you know, most of them were abusive. Because it's just how it was in the seventies, you know.
0: Oh yeah, I remember. So,
1: you know, I, I've said this before on podcasts, but people listening will think I'm crazy when I say this. If if you're from the younger generation, but back in the seventies, anyone could hit you, right? And after time, they hit you. And they, they did.
0: Got, you, I yeah, remember. I, well, my, sorry, mum, if you're watching this, my mum used to wallop me, and now you can't, you wouldn't be able to do, get away with the stuff that you could get away with back then.
1: Back then, some guy in a, walking down the street, walk across the street, belt you around the head. Don't you He'd give me up. that, my young
0: son. Boom. <laughs>
1: yeah, I well, here's the thing, Sonia. I'd, I'd go home. My mum would notice something. She'd go, what's the matter with you? I'm like, oh, nothing, mum. Some bloke just hit me. She's like, what? Some bloke just hit Why? Well, no, she said, why didn't you tell me? Well, I didn't tell her, Sonny, because I thought that was not. I'm, I'm five years old for crying out. I thought that's normal. That's what adults do. They hurt, you know, they, this is how they treat children, right? So anyway, coming back to my situation, so I had this really great relationship with the kids in, in my street, right? But I got myself to the point um, through addiction, or addiction had got me to the point where I could no longer go outside the front door. I was ashamed of myself you know i started to realize i was living a life that it started off good in the early days of taking drugs it was just absolutely you know just brilliant i learned loads about myself i learned loads of stuff that my parents generation had never taught me i found think, out what, i could
0: what, what did you learn about yourself Did the drugs do you think the drugs opened you up yeah well i
1: learned that we're all equal that there isn't that the class society is a fig is a social construction, and that actually, you know, like a, a lawyer or an accountant isn't a better class of person than a you know someone who sweeps the street. In fact, actually the guy sweeping the street probably more down to earth than than, than these cats, you know. Yeah. It it might sound silly to people now, but back then we, we lived in a very much a class-based system. Everything was on like you know it wasn't about becoming a whole human being a well-rounded person a loving caring empathic person that gives to society it was about how greedy can you be how much money can you earn you know if you can cheat your way there well most of the you know (laughs) a lot of these people do or, or they're born into it right and and you know that's not helpful, Sonia, is it? To teach children this—it's not helpful. All it does is serve the status quo to maintain this oppressive pyramid structure in 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 life, where the the, the all the power goes upwards. And um, so it's stuff like that. It was it was learning that things like when I was at school, I had too much going on in my personal life to be able to concentrate in school. So I wasn't a failure. I was just a person that that kind of education didn't suit me at that time,
0: yeah. right? I, d- I don't think it suits a lot of kids, to be honest. I think we've just got to this system where if you don't fit, you don't, you, you fail. And, you, and then again, we've labeled the children again, a failure, which gives them more insecurities when they grow up, which is just wrong. How can, it, how can a child be a failure? It's just got, the whole thing is, is wrong, as, as far as I'm concerned. Yes.
1: So I learned that, um, you know, it was a business that took me out to Hong Kong after I left the Marines. I'd started this business and I'm I'm ai am quite an obsessive person because person I get very passionate about what what I find that I like. And then, bang, I just want to hammer it till I get good at it. Right. So. I think how, that's maybe how
0: were you at this point Chris so you, you, you've done your stint in the Royal Marines yeah
1: 20 25 when I left the Marines
0: and had you seen any I mean look this sounds very um, it might sound very naive from somebody who hasn't served but did mm. you see atrocities did you suffer with any any PTSD or you um,
1: yeah being a marine is an atrocity <laughs> joke Um... <laughs> It's it's funny, Sonia, actually. Um, to answer your question, so I don't get sidetracked, I served in the Northern Ireland conflict, okay? So um, wow. when I was in training and they said, what unit do you want to put in for? When we've got three commando units in the Marines, or we, we did back then. I put in for 4-2 commando, which is based near Plymouth, because I knew they were, that they would go in into battle basically, right? You know, they were gonna go into the Northern Ireland conflict. And I thought if I'm gonna do my time in the Marines, I want to go to war, uh, you know, that's just, if there's a war, I wanna be in it. And at that time it was the, you know, the the original war on, on terror. Um, when we were there, one of our brothers was shot dead, I think round about the second week um uh in my company so basically in the barracks i lived in with this chap was was part of my my company so so it affected us on on a fairly you know uh, like a group group level it wasn't like oh it's some guy in another you know in another company and it, it actually like it was a guy that i had just let out the gate literally i'd open the gate for this patrol to go out or I'd open one of the two gates, and um, seconds later, you just said, bang, 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 all these rounds going off. And, and um, yeah, even before that, the first time we ran out of this camp gate, whenever you run out the gate um, on operations, you always zigzag, because the enemy knows you will be coming out of that gate at some point, and there's always a chance to have a sniper waiting for you, right? So you always zigzag. The first time we went out that gate, we zigzag, and boom, this huge explosion went off. Immediately, first thing you do is cock your weapon, take cover, your brick commander, that's your team, team commander, gets on, gets on the radio to find, or listens into the radio to find out what's happened. If it's you that's been hit um, and we were hit, twice like personally like the four of us we were shot shot at twice um but the commander gets on the listens to the radio to find out what's going on if you've been hit he has to give a contact report over the radio and say whether we've got casualties or not so a little while later so we've had first day we went out the gate this explosion went off right It was at the 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 back road that ran along the back of our camp there was another um there was a a sanger there which is a lookout post right like a guard post um so as we'd run out the front gate the ira basically bombed this sanger which was on the on the road behind the back gate um then of course we lost our oppo as as we call our uh, colleagues um to this um being shot dead. Uh, Then we went up into the Ardoin area of Belfast. And as we broke out into diamond formation, as we went across this small park, um, a sniper opened up on us from from behind. So you're on patrol, you're in the middle of a I'm going to call it a British city, but I don't mean to. Ups- I don't take yeah. sides, right? Yeah. But but technically, technically, it was a British city, right? Um, the the you you just hear bang 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 bang, just all of you know out the blue. The grass at my feet is flicking up like you see in the, the like the bloody cowboy films, right? Um, took cover when i look back to try and locate where this this sniper is is actually a a technically a gunman because he wasn't using a, a sniper rifle um when i look back to try and locate where where the rounds are coming from our oppo jock is laid spark out on the ground so he's been hit right so i was the first aider so as i started running back to get him he looked up and you could just see the shock on his, you know, we're all trying to work out what is, how is it yeah. in that moment, Sonny. it's really hard to work out like he, what is going on. You know, what, what you, you're training. I know it's cliche, but your training really does cook, kick in and um, Jock just grabs his equipment, which has been thrown all around him and just comes hammering it over to dive behind this little building where we were, right? At which point he's going, I'm hit, I'm fucking hit, I'm hit. I'm ripping open his combat jacket and his Aniba jacket, that's his bulletproof vest and I'm, Jock, you're not fucking hit mate, you're not hit. I am, I'm hit, I'm hit, I'm hit, right? Anyway, turns out, a sniper had opened up on us from the back of the Ardoin which is a very hardened Irish uh, Republican housing estate in Belfast. And first of all, his first round had taken the, the uh, antenna off Jock's equipment. The second round had gone through his rifle sling. And you got, because he's what we call tail end Charlie, he's facing backwards. So he's facing the guy that's shooting him. Right, yeah. obviously not realizing because this is happening, you know, mm-hmm. supersonic speed that he's been. Sh- the third round smacked him straight in in the um, chest. Yeah, it didn't even hit the fiberglass plate that you wear over your heart. It actually just hit. It's like a like a fiberglass jacket, you know. Um, it hit the jacket, and of course, it spun Jock around. His equipment just Literally, his rifle flew that way. His electronic equipment flew flew that way. Um, and then, of course, there was eight rounds fired. So the next five rounds was fired at um, fired at me. That's why the ground is flicking up. But by this time, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm running too fast for the guy the guy to uh, the guy to get me. Um, and so, yeah, that was it. Anyone, anyone who served in Belfast that year knows the incident I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. Um, and it's-
0: why, why did you leave?
1: Oh, why did I leave? So, so I, I got to see active service. So, you know, I felt like I yeah, had okay, that experience. That. Yeah. We, we did um, uh, Arctic warfare training up in the north of Norway which is absolutely, looking back, one of the best experiences of, of, of my life, although it was, you know, back that, back when I was in, you had a few tough old mean characters. I, I'm told it's changed now, right? You had a lot of um, people that had been in the Falklands conflict, seen stuff that people are not really supposed to see. Um and uh <laughs> I'm
0: just saying
1: I'm, I'm just saying I'm very conscious of always not painting just a glorious picture of being in the military because it's not always like that
0: no I think um, you should paint the real pi- well the picture how you saw it we've all got our own realities right yeah but, but, you
1: know sometimes you can meet, meet people and they're just out to make your life a misery and and that's you know that's that's a big old thing when they're, uh, you know, 18 stone commando mm. <laughs> and you're like nine and a half stone. Yeah. But um, but but talking in general terms, just amazing to live in a snow cave, to to to, to learn to ski cross country, wearing all, all your your Bergen and, and carrying your rifle and crashing through the ice, doing the ice breaking drills, which is just. People pay money for all that sort of stuff now, don't they? sounds
0: like your ultimate boys tour, your adrenaline rush.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I I did all that, and then I was very fortunate, Sonia, I spent my last, um, or I spent uh, about 13 or so months, I I can't remember exactly, on an aircraft carrier, just one of 12 Marines on board um, HMS Invincible, and we got to travel... Not the whole world, but we got to travel some really nice places. Like we sailed to Barbados once. And we were also the first ship with women on board. So the first ship to have to have wrens. So there was this real, you know, party atmosphere, you could say. And um it was just a very
0: stories that stick out there.
1: (laughs) Well. I'm not sure how what I'm allowed to say without without bringing bringing certain militaries into disrepute, but <laughs> um, yes, yeah, all the things that people would imagine went on. For example, you had like high up commanders in the navy were getting court martial because it was they found out they were having some affair with one of the ranks or something. You know, it it was silly stuff like this. There were there were two wrens that went AWOL. Okay. When we got to some foreign port, they just jumped ship. And then for the next uh year they sent the captain and the ship postcards from everywhere <laughs> everywhere that they went. Um to say that it was a you know probably a fair bit of nookie going on was, was I mean that's always going to happen, isn't it? It's obviously it was strictly forbidden, but yeah, you, know, you didn't want to get caught, but, but 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 it went on. But it was amazing. And my final four years in the corps, I was just predominantly doing guard duty. I'd been risen to the dizzy heights of uh, of lance corporal, which in the marines is just referred to as as corporal, When I was down for the command course, which was to become a full corporal. But while this, uh, this period of my life happened, I'd, I'd already bought a house, which um, was one of the better decisions I made in, in this life. And I got involved in a network marketing company. It was okay. called Quorum International for the older folks out there, or people my age that will might remember it. And I really gave it a year of hard work built a bit of a network in the uk but it it, it was always hard work got a, something going in amps uh, in uh, the netherlands rose to a position they call Sil- they called silver executive distributor which was you know an executive ranking in the in the network distribution right M- meaning like you've got to be doing something right to to, to get there and then just out of pure happenstance, Sonia, I got put in touch with a guy in the Hong Kong Army, so uh, the British Army in Hong Kong, rather, so Hong Kong Chinese guy called Vance. And Vance was really good at networking. He'd done it, he was big in the, in the Amway Corporation, right? And cut long story short, I sponsored him into my network and he went on to build the biggest network marketing organization in the asia pacific for this company quorum international and he's in what we call our downline so he i i all the business he does i get five percent of right
0: so so at this point you're you're raking it in presumably this guy's well
1: in that first month he went out and shifted about a hundred thousand us dollars worth of product and of course i get five percent so my check was two thousand seven hundred pounds um m- m- my military money for the month was only a thousand so so
0: that yeah. i guess was that sort of the right like, I'm, I'm going over to hong kong at
1: this stage just as well yes that exactly at that moment i thought right i'm being heralded by this company as chris Roo, biggest business in the asia pacific you know, he's our, he's our guy. He's the, he's the next diamond of Coram it. You know, this is,
0: yeah. this is yeah, just yeah. what it
1: was, Sonia. You know, had, had the company had a bit more foresight and a bit of, bit of a better uh, marketing strategy, it would have lasted longer. But by the time I got to Hong Kong, these products, which had been really good in the early days, just started to become stupid. Like they were trying to sell a garden shed alarm in Hong Kong, well, you know, you don't need to be Einstein to know in Hong Kong, everyone lives in apartments. (laughs) They don't have garden sheds.
0: Back Um, then, Chris, because I know we've talked about sort of your enlightenment and your your views on on society. Back then, were you attracted by the success and the money?
1: Yeah, well, probably what drove me was You know the fact that you're making it in capitalist society, aren't you? You know, I had a a beautiful white BMW. (laughs) Bloody! I'm I'm laughing because
0: my dad used to have one as well. I think he still got it.
1: Yeah, I think they were called D series or something. Or, or, but you know, it's fuel injection. And and when I rocked up in it, my mates would go, "What the fuck? Where did you get that?" And and to be honest i think i borrowed the money i, I cashed in some endowment policy for it. it wasn't i wasn't earning it off the business but i had a mobile phone they weren't quite the brick size that they were when they first came out but i had this like it was like something like this you know with a big oh, yeah. big plastic area on it and yeah we it, it when you're young naive and you live in a matrix you're hitting all the right markers aren't you you know that's that's it um were there were other things going on in my life back then that you know there were just other things of that that kind of old life as it as it as it were and they all kind of fed in you know fed into each other Um, so yeah cut long for short by the time I got out to Hong Kong this the, the the parent company so Corum had collapsed not not it wasn't anything that I could have done, or that you know, other than not having the the foresight to realize this, realize a bit earlier maybe that this company isn't really going anywhere. Um, and as I said before, Sonia, within within about seven months, I was pretty much chronically addicted to crystal meth. So okay,
0: I, was, I, what I mean. When did you even start the crystal meths? Because um, I don't know a lot about crystal meths, um, but is it is it a drug that when when you take it you sort of get addicted straight away, or is it something that you you need to be having quite a lot of it? Um,
1: it's a really I don't I think it's horses for courses, Sonia, with with substance use, right? Somebody. What, what is one man's potion is another man's poison. They're like, I don't want, it's like when you meet people that don't drink, isn't it? And I, I try not to now, right? You know, I for the most part, don't don't really drink these days or certainly nothing like I used to. Um, but I met people, like I got a friend, he's never had a drink. It's just like, you're like, oh, your parents were they, you know, they had problematic alcohol users. No, I just, Never wanted to have a drink.
0: Yeah, no, no, <laughs> like, I, 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 yeah, I if I went out with a guy once, like, yeah. But anyway, I, you know, I want to
1: shake, I want to shake them and go, <laughs> go and drink and well, well, have a pint.
0: I'm a bit of the opposite. I quite like to experience different things. It doesn't mean that I'm going to go on and carry on doing it, but I, I sort of, you know, within reason, I, I, I like to experience different things. Anyway, going back to your story, yes. Yeah, so,
1: just in a sort of short synopsis, because I'm also a substance misuse specialist, I've worked in a, in a community clinic for three years, predominantly um, treating problematic heroin users, supply, working out the methadone prescriptions and all this sort of stuff. And that's a that's a whole nother load of politics again. But so basically you've got childhood trauma is the driver, of yeah. it, the main driver of addiction, right? So trying to mask the pain that that you've had inflicted upon you as a toddler, which you then carry through life, someone comes along and goes, drink that or smoke this or bloody and pop that. And, and it is it's,
0: quite, sudden... it's quite funny because two siblings could have obviously been brought up with the same parental situation and yet have very different childhood experiences.
1: Yes. And oh,
0: and, that, and that's what, what I found. I mean, for example, my, myself and my brother, I know I've, I've sort of had, you know, like, you know, not a terrible upbringing by any stretch of the imagination, but I know I suffered some trauma where um, I think my brother did. And we, we dealt with things in life in a very different way. And I'm now now speaking to more and more people, like, such as yourself on on these amazing podcasts. I'm learning more and more about, that's why I do this. Ah, now all sort of seems to make sense when you've got dot everything together
1: yes exactly um and so you know later in life when you're old enough to get involved in substances and such thing or go to the pub for the first time um different a different substance will suit that person's personality and it's i won't pretend i understand it to that depth son, because i don't think you ever can it, it's it's like a a, a, a never-ending question right but some people obviously like downers they like to block life out right they like to block out they just surround themselves in this warm fuzzy glow where you don't almost like being in the womb or something i suppose isn't it you know you don't have to you don't have to worry about paying your bills, your trauma, your this, your that. Other people like me, we just want to get out and smash life even more. And if you can give me a substance that means I can, you know, perform a bit faster, a bit longer, you know, that sounds rude, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Although, you know, (laughs) Yes, that's what I was thinking. But, you know, I mean, for me, I used to just love going out dancing and just dance all night long. I could I dance. Still do.
0: 12. I, oh, I still do, Chris. I've I've discovered it all again. I love
1: it. I used to like going up on my. I, I lived in an old tenement building in um, Wan Chai, which is like the the um, red nut red light gangland nightclub area of Hong Kong. It's called Wan Chai. It's very very famous, right? And I had this aging apartment no no westerner would really have lived in it because it was very it was very um basic right you know you had to wash out of a bowl um a you know, little two ring gas yeah. hob thing balanced on top of a gas bottle to, uh, there was no no fortune until i had to build myself a, a bed out of bamboo and a mattress that i bought in the market um and i used to get wired and I'd climb up the, the waste pipe that ran up the building. i climb up onto the roof, right? Or actually, I'd go up the back stairs, get out onto the roof, and I'd just practice Kung Fu. I'd put my hands on the parapet running along the around the edge of the building, and I'd push up into a handstand and walk along it, just looking down there, and I'm 70 metres above the ground. It was just... Um,
0: and this was while you were on the crystal mess.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, this was, uh, you know, it was feeding my Tarzan, my inner Tarzan is what you can say. <laughs> um,
0: wow. Well, so and as I, was, I say. And what, I mean, what was the feeling like that like when you say it sounds pretty amazing? I mean, not that we're encouraging anyone to take drugs for listening to this, but.
1: Yes. So. Absolutely should state there now for Sonia's podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm not... I only
1: tell my story for education. That is it, right? I don't suggest anybody does what I've done in my life simply because you live your life, you know?
0: Absolutely, and everyone's got their own life to live. But this is actually pivotal to who you are in terms of how you then went on. Um,
1: Yeah. uh, Well, And I think that is
0: an important part to (coughs) say excuse me
1: yeah so one thing i say quite a lot is come and meet my son right my son is the best kid on the planet right he's the most gorgeous handsome funniest cutest what i'm trying to say is mother nature gave him to me sonia after all the stuff I've done in my life that she gave him to me, that's my reward for living the life that I've lived. So if people, you know, just to get rid of that old school mentality of like there's bad experience. No, there's not. There's just experiences. If I have lived my life my way and I'm lucky to be here, I will admit, you know, nearly copped it in Northern Ireland, as you could see. Right. But if I hadn't lived my life the way, i had i wouldn't have this beautiful angel who sleeps just you know in that room over there and who i kiss every night when he's asleep and tell him how much i love him and and what i'm the luckiest man i'm just the luckiest man you know and for people to just oh well no you should have lived your life like like i did you should have been a choir boy and it's like no sorry
0: what what sorry i mean i've got when we just even haven't even touched on what you've been through but what life what life lessons will you give to your son what sort of pearls of wisdom because because like you said you know you've you've had this amazing life in terms of experiences and like like you say everyone has their own definition definition of amazing lives but you you have you've literally done well you've you've done your bucket list and we'll come on to that but what pearls of wisdom are you going to Give to your child, or are
1: you gonna tell your little son? The biggest one is that his daddy is bigger than a billion mountains. <laughs> <laughs> it's this joke that we well, it's my uh, my lack of ego. I tell him that I'm I'm the biggest daddy on the planet, and he goes, No, you're not. <laughs> but when he wants somebody, he goes, Daddy, you're bigger than like. 100 elephants on top of a million mountains <laughs> it's great having kids isn't it yeah. and by the way the way I talk about my son I I trust everybody else out there talks about their kids in the same way you know they're just they are the future they're brilliant and we we got to get it a bit you know a bit better right for them you know Absolutely. I'm never going to be teaching my son that wearing it you know wearing underpants on your face is that's like the way that the human species needs to go right he's got to look at me and 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 know that i stood up for what is right when when most people either were brainwashed and and had no idea or they were afraid and we're all afraid you know but you can't let fear determine doing what's right so there's won't surprise you to hear there's certain things you won't ever see me do (laughs) doing Sonia and I I try and get that to my son We, we we try to have a as rational you know discussion about it he's had to watch me get thrown out of shops you know his daddy and you know he's with me and then I've got to try and explain that this this man's son. He lives in a matrix. He he believes what he sees in his mainstream media. To him, it's real.
0: Why were you thrown know? out of shops? I've just got to ask that question.
1: Well, I don't. I don't want to say the 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 oh, N word. Oh, you know.
0: But you are you not wearing a mask.
1: I am got a mask, Sonia.
0: Okay. Is that yeah. why
1: you are thrown out? Yeah, it's it's um. To be honest, most places are quite good. It's when you get some little Hitler that, like I say, they believe their mainstream media, and to them, it's this is real. You know, this is yeah, real. Yeah,
0: I mean, majority you of people know? do do believe. They, it. they
1: don't have the ability to look at statistics and 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 look at history, look at biology, look at the wonderful work of people like Louis um, uh, Antoine Beauchamp, right? Who's who's um, you know. Ah, I could go on, I could go on, but I'm always asking people to read, please read books, just read, but... And, and listen
0: to other different views than the mainstream media, I think. that I think that's that's the main thing, and, uh, well, that's what the, I would the say. Well, why the why only... are you listening to the mainstream media? Who told yeah. you that that was right? No one says that is right. You've got to make your own opinions in life, and the only way to do that is a balanced view, right? is is listening. The, the,
1: only, the only excuse listening to the BBC in this day and age is to find out what the sociopaths are trying to brainwash you with today that's the only excuse you know I mean it, it's it's ludicrous we've all I mean wasn't 9-11 enough for uh, you know wasn't that w- w- what's wrong with people wasn't that enough you know look at the uh,
0: yeah, people
1: don't. It, see it. There, there's been a load of people now going, what the hell's it, what the hell? Because, you know, if you live in a matrix, you, you can't relate this to, you you've got nothing to relate it to, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back but... to the, the crystal meth story, though, as well, because <laughs> I feel like we've, we've hung on to that. Because y- we
1: need y- some now, don't we?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I've never tried it, but um, I'm up for anything. <laughs> um, Joke yeah joke, definitely joke what how bad was it what what we? how what to what extent were you taking it and what does okay. it do to you because i believe it get it, it you can it can put you into psychosis and that and that's what you ended yeah.
1: up yeah so. yeah so to answer your original question i was offered it um in a crazy computer company I, I worked in. It's all in, if anyone wants to learn more on this is not a book plug although I guess I guess it is it's it's but actually, all in my book. I'd
0: love to read that eating smoke and is it where can people find out and we will put the link I'll put the link and all that sort of stuff in in the yeah. show notes and I'll put a um, link.
1: All my books I think I've written six now are available on Amazon for anybody that wants to see the truth in life, you know, I'm always saying when I do my life coaching bits, on, you get one life, right, you need to take charge of it and live it, not let the, you know, not let the sociopaths, and I hope through my writing, so that's Eating Smoke, Uh, I've written another, released another book recently, I will get back to your question, but that was the recovery when I talked about my enlightenment, you know, when I could hear the kids yeah. playing in the street, but I was too ashamed to go out and kick a ball around with them. That's what set me on the path to just achieve all my goals, really. That's called 40 nights.
0: And I really want to come on to that. I think this might be um, <laughs> part one and part two, Is that, yeah. that, That's
1: that? Yeah. Um, that's the kind of metaphor for the, you know, Jesus spent 40 nights in the wilderness getting his head together, didn't he? And I spent it was actually a year and a a year and a half on a sofa bed getting my head together. And that's my most recent book, just, just because it's on the pile there state of mind, how I ran 36 ultra marathons back to back with no training. That was, I I ran the length of the UK in 2018 to raise awareness of this veteran suicide epidemic. Um, But uh, going back to your crystal meth question. So I'd been out on the dance scene quite a lot, always had a great time. You know, we'd pop the odd ecstasy pill, maybe take a dab of speed or whatever it was. And and it was always, you know, it never, uh, never affected me in any kind of like negative sort of way. and so there I am in Hong Kong in this company and, and I work with a guy called Neil Diamond, or at least that's his name in my book. Um,
0: Not he, Neil Diamond.
1: Wait, well, he was actually called Tom Jones. So when <laughs> I, <laughs>
0: I've
1: got this thing in my writing. I just think of the first kind of name that might be a I bit like the me. same.
0: Yeah.
1: Like there's a guy in it. There was a guy called Richard Burton. I spent a lot of time with him. He was an Oxford graduate he was also addicted to heroin right and um he was the first person i ever saw like you know use an injection right so in my book he became um he was called what's he? he was called Rich, richard burn like the movie star right like the, the film star and i called him oh god i've forgotten it now he's in my book david niven <laughs> that's right it was just like a a rough, right? I mean, one guy's a Welsh, Welsh. Anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm digressing. So but Neil
0: Diamond.
1: So Neil Diamond, come. I went to the toilet one day uh, in the office, right? A very boring job I had. We were supposed to be trading computer chips on the international market, right? Which is they traded like gold dust back then when the first PCs hit the market. You bought your Pentium processor and your your little stick of ram and all this stuff, right? My crazy Chinese boss, and he was doolally, this guy, he was one of the biggest sellers in this market, right? So we had clients all around the world. There was loads of shenanigans, like loads of like illegal stuff went on in that that kind of business, as you probably expect. Um, but because I, I'm there, I only speak a bit of Cantonese. I spoke more than most, but still... It was irrelevant. I couldn't really do any trades in this market. It was too fickle. You know, you had to really know the market, obviously. So my job, I'd sit there all day writing, like sending out information letters to people. And, you know, we'd end up making up our own letters and writing this bloody hilarious load of chuff and just sending it off out to people. So when I'm in this toilet and, and Neil Diamond comes out the cubicle and he goes Chris come in here right I thought right I'm either going to get sex or drugs <laughs> you can't lose right <laughs> so um he went in and he got this silver foil out he went have you ever tried ice um no nah, mate I've heard I've heard of it though it's the one that sends you mental in it yeah all right give me some <laughs> <laughs> talk about like never turning down an opportunity so he 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 heated up this little crystal it looks like a bit of rock salt right just literally like a bit of rock salt and it slid down this chute this vapor came off i hoovered it up with a little bank note and cut a long story short i went back to my desk sat there for two or three minutes and then suddenly this the most amazing feeling i think i'd ever had at that moment right i get a better feeling now naturally is what i'm trying to say but other than the natural high that i now live in that was the next best thing i've ever experienced it was incredible sonia it was as if i i you know sometimes when you you get drunk and it's just the right time in, in the right place for the right person and you feel just yeah fir- yeah you know yeah. that that first drink just so i describe it in the book as getting slowly
0: like mdma like ecstasy
1: or um no but it's in the same chemical family so yes to a degree when you take MDMA, you get that real like floaty disinhi- dis not 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 so much disinhibiting isn't the word. It, it's like you you almost like disengage from reality a bit and you feel that like, whoa, really floaty, don't you And mm. you wouldn't want to say, I don't know. I'm trying to give an example that won't get me in trouble. You wouldn't want to go. You wouldn't want to drop MDMA, then go and do a shitload of handstands or, or. No,
0: no. Try no, and do a no. summer song You or might or want to right. dance a lot on the dance floor or give lots yeah. of people hugs and tell them how much you love them. But yeah, I, I yeah, yeah, not, yeah.
1: But but the the, the 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 meth, and and again for our friends at home, the, the, the crystal meth is the refined form form of methamphetamine Mm. it's called crystal meth because it's got all the impurities of a very strong drug taken out to get a 99.7 percent pure amphetamine crystal right so you're talking this crystal is a hundred times stronger than say the equivalent like bit of speed Mm, you used to get in, in in the nightclubs right and it just made, it made me feel wonderful, Sonia. I've, I've, I felt like I was getting drunk on fine champagne, but without that, that whooshy feeling. Um, and before long, I'd find I'd want to just get high and then just do like drawing, right? Because I was told I was a failure in art at school. Um,
0: so it so opened up your creativity or did it
1: it just it unlocked my creativity it unlocked weird things like a sense of balance right
0: when you say balance as in walking balance or balance in terms of how you view the world
1: I used to um bounce on the doors of nightclubs in Hong Kong I was a bouncer on three clubs right no I'm not like a big tough guy or anything it's just in Hong Kong it's hard to get bouncers. <laughs> they're,
0: they're all quite small. My brother used to live in Hong Kong, so I do know it. But yeah, that
1: Okay, yeah, it's, you, you're hopefully over there, you're interacting the capacity of a doorman, like a polite guy that's gonna let people in and out. And occasionally your boss taps you on the shoulder and goes, Chris, can you go and sort that idiot out in the corner? And then you're like, right, I've got to be creative now. <laughs> he's twice as big as me, right? Um, But anyway, I used to go from um, Wan Chai, which is on Hong Kong Island, back to where I lived at the time in Mong Kok, which is on the Chinese mainland. Mm -hmm. Um, And I used to purposely get off the underground, the MTR, 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 like a a stop before mine so I could walk the last quarter of a mile home. Because this is Hong Kong. This is the Bruce Lee movie stuff. This is where guys, you know, they do all the kung fu and they got tattoos and steam comes out of noodle shops and rats, like literally rats that are too big to like literally rats that big crawl down the alleyways. And I would get off the empty, mark empty. My lips is drying out, sorry. I would get off the MTMTR. I get off the bloody underground, right? Yeah, you get and off I, the tube. <laughs> and I duck down the back alleyways. You know, so this is the middle of the night. You know, maybe it's six in the morning or five in the morning. No one else is up. It's just me. And I've got the whole of the Counter- Loom Peninsula. It's my playground. And I'm, you know, running up these alleyways, pretending I'm Bruce Lee. And just it was it's just an incredible time of my life, right? But one of the other things I used to do is hop up on the railing along, along Nathan Road. Nathan Road is the main artery that runs all the way up the Kowloon peninsula. Right. It's got all the Rolex shops and all the back in the day. Back in the day, it was all herbal shops of selling, you know, rhino's horn and all that stuff. You could get it. If you, you know, if you knew who to ask and I'd hop up on a railing Sonia and then I just walk for the whole block until the road cut across and then i'd hop down hop onto the next railing the railing's like you know two inches wide and it ju- just meth just give you this incredible sense of balance right
0: and does it get oh so it is that sort of balance and does it take away your fears as well or i mean you don't strike me as somebody that's got many fears anyway uh because of the sort of stuff that you've done in your life but does it inhibit any of those
1: sort of ooh, fears? Maybe. Yeah, it, it it made me feel totally in control, right? So when I was on the door and you did get some idiot come up, you know, like once there, there was a guy and he committed suicide, sadly, because he had a big uh, drink and cocaine problem, which I wouldn't wish on anybody, right? Just this guy had a massive ego problem. And he i won't for privacy i won't say who he was but he he owned a club in hong kong and his thing was to get bloody steamed up on on alcohol and snort a load of lines then go out into into one chai and try to be the big dog in all the other clubs and one of his tricks was he'd walk past the queue of people queuing and just go straight in the door well that's fine if you just let the doorman know look mate on yeah. on the owner of that club over there fine but in, in you know be our guest and you go get this get this guy a drink mate you know you you, you know it's all about respect isn't it um but this guy wouldn't do that he'd walk out and he'd literally elbow the doorman out of the way knowing that when the doorman goes oi mate what what's who are you what's the game that then the managers of the clubs would rush over and go Chris, Chris, it's just that's he, he's a bit of a dick, but just let him, you know. Anyway, he did it to me in my first club that I worked in, and I got told to eat humble pies. Like Chris, let it go. He's a cock, but I'm. Like, oh, it's all right. I'll let him in the club. He's already in, but I'm not going to let it go, right? I was young and bloody egotistical as well, right? So later, I was working on this other club, and he tried to do the same thing, right? And as and it was just me on the door. And as he went to just walk in the door, I just went bang <laughs> and I just stopped him. And he said, do you know who I am? I said, yeah, you're the manager, you're the owner of Sansos and, and uh, the queue's there, mate. Well, I went, the queue's there, mate. He went, do you know who I am? I went, yeah, you're the manager of that place and uh, the queue's there, mate, right? Went, ha, ha, right? Fumes coming out his ears, off he goes. Ten minutes later, he comes back with these two geezers. One big Maori guy, the other this tall. I don't know. You allowed to say Pikey these days? G- this tall gypsy-looking yeah, guy it. with big, big gold earrings. Right. Anyway, right, mate. Um, he says, "I'm coming in." And if you lay one it was a a kiwi sorry i'm trying to do the crap accent but he went i'm coming in and if you lay one finger on me you got these two guys to deal with so i went (laughs) you're not coming in right and i just stood and looked at these two guys both of whom would have ripped my head off sonia you know there's anyway later I go into my favorite club right in the morning, in the morning, when I finished work, I used to go and dance in a club called the big apple in Hong Kong. It was my favorite. It was just this very sleazy joint. You could literally roll a joint in there. It was, and I just go and dance the hours away. And, um, lo and behold, there's this big Kiwi guy on the dance floor, right? Big Maori, the Maori chap, right? And, um, I went up to him. and I just tapped him on the shoulder like that. And when he turned around and he's got this like look of surprise, it's 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 that guy, that doorman. I went right. <laughs> and then he he put his fists up and we're circling each other on the dance floor. And then just like we laughed and had a hug. And yeah, okay. I said, mate, I, I'm I'm sorry about that back there. But that guy just he acts like that, all, and he. He went, mate, I don't even know who he was. I, I was in that club over there. Apparently, he owns it. And he came in and went, you and you, can you come and help me with a bit of business? <laughs> he said, "He said I'm in, um, I played for the All Blacks. I'm in Hong oh, Kong. Wow. For the, yeah, for the Rugby Sevens. So that was nice. That was that. That was nice. And he went, come and say hello to the other guys.' He's called Sean he thinks you're (laughs) classmate. So he took me over and the other guy was sat in one of the booths on the, on on the edge of the Dartmoor. He went,
0: ah, it's that guy.
1: (laughs) Right. So can you imagine my ego is just so. Yeah. This
0: is well, this is partly the, obviously the the, the drugs, I guess. Yeah. I I think
1: I've found this wonder drug that is make me cool, calm, confident, rock hard. I was popular with everybody. Right. And then of course, you know, that's the honeymoon phase of addiction, isn't it? When it all, everything's wonderful.
0: Well, let's, yeah, let's talk about when it all, because like anything, like life, it, at some point it turns around. Um, what what was that like and when did that happen? When you, when you I well, guess when you knew this was not just more, I mean, you must've gone um, to quite a dark place.
1: It started to go wrong when you start to lose jobs. And it's not always related directly to the drug that you've lost a job but it it probably wouldn't have happened had you not been had you not had a drug habit right so i i lost a series of jobs i misread situations working for people because i my mind my mind was it's all a bit hard to explain but um but i lost a series of jobs sonia right um And then it all came to a head one day where I'm living with this Chinese chap, the the, the guy that I said was really good in business. Mm. I haven't been in taking part in the business since it collapsed seven months ago, right? He's desperately trying to make it work. And then one night in the building, our apartment block, I start to hear these voices, right? And this is where my story... Gets really inextricably um, entangled with what was going on in Hong Kong at the time. So, Hong Kong culture.
0: Mm.
1: I'm listening in my building and I hear someone say, Ham Chan, right? They're shouting it down the stairwell from the apartments upstairs, right? Another one, Ham Sat Lo, right? And other things like chai right? So, do you know what that uh, meant,
0: or did you know what
1: ha- ha- ham chan" mean? Like very bad man, right? I'm telling you what. I, what it, it's it's like an insult, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, "Ham sap lo" means a dirty old man, right? Like a you know pervert or something. Uh, or I think it means "ham sap" means salt in Hong in cantonese is a fascinating language and this means something like sweaty man right so you know what we call dirty old man or something yeah. and, and and the other one uh means go to the police station or something like this right so i grabbed my business partner when he came or well, my former business partner when he came home and i'm like vance what is that he's like nothing nothing i'm like vance what is that i'm here i've been hearing it all day mate don't tell me it's nothing right I know what Ham Saplo means. I know what Ham gichan means. Choi Gunna means police station, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, why are they shouting it at me? He went, they not shout at you. They shouting it at me. I'm like, what? What are you on about? He said, Chris, since our business failed, I said, I haven't been able to pay the rent. I said, not paying the rent in Hong Kong culture very bad thing right means like you're a loser right mm-hmm. this is to elucidate a bit sonia hong kong is a very ancient culture right it was only like 300 years maybe four at the most that the first westerner appeared on the scene but before that they lived behind this massive wall huge mountain range a vast ocean ruled a land of uh, a feudal land, you know, ruled, ruled by overseers where, you know, the vast majority of people were just simple peasants that worked work the land, right? They hadn't had that Eurocentric development that we've had over here, right? I hope, I hope I'm making sense and I don't wish to be rude at all. Just telling, just saying how <laughs> it is, right? Yes. So in Hong Kong, it's an ancient culture. The old men still hang mirrors outside their window, right? Or they'll hang a CD and it will spin in the wind. The reason they do that is to reflect the evil spirits
0: yeah.
1: out the buildings, right? It's serious, right? This is an ancient culture. Not working, that's bad, right? So anyway, gosh, excuse me. Sorry, my nose has just started itching for some reason. Um, don't know if it's all the references to have drugs. I to say
0: it's all the talk. <laughs>
1: so anyway that evening Vance said chris we've got to get out of here i'm like all right so i like i grabbed my rucksack uh, uh, or you know and we went out and we stayed in his shop that evening he had a shop in a shopping center right um and we we slept on the floor of his shop and i'm like Vance, what tell me what i don't understand what is going on why have we got to be here why can't we be at the and and he's like nothing nope, just sleep just sleep well i couldn't sleep because i was wired all the time back then right and so i wandered out onto the the um, the plaza you know the, the the floor of this shop we were on like say the second floor and there was a food plaza down below this is about half eight at night. So there was like noodle shops and stuff doing, you know, doing their thing. And as I stood there on this next to this railing, I start to hear ham chan, ham lo. And I'm like, what? I can understand it being in the apocalypse. How do they know me here, right? Vance comes up, stands at my side. He says, Quisser? Are you okay? I'm like, no, Vance. What? Why are they still saying it? L- l- listen, and I can hear Hamger Chan, Ham Sap Hoy. Go to the police state. You know, you're a bad man, right? And Vance just looked at me and said, "Chris, um, do you want to go to the hospital?"
0: Yeah, you're, you're basically hallucinating, right? Yeah, and I'm like, well,
1: "What do you mean? Go to? What are you saying?" He said. He said, I I think you're not very well, right? So that was the first moment, Sonia, when I look back that I can see that I was entering psychosis, right? What the shit in the flat had to do with it, whether that's just ancient Chinese culture or whether I, 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 I honestly don't know. Which is why Eating Smoke is such a, it's been such a popular read, is that I don't try to, like, make sense of it. I I just tell you what happened.
0: What strikes me, Chris, and, you know, I've listened to you on other podcasts as well, is your incredible um, memory for detail. I mean, you've got these incredible stories. And, you know, we haven't even touched on it. And I'm I'm looking at the time thinking, oh, gosh, we haven't got long. Um, and I feel like we do need to do another one because you've got. We haven't even touched on your your sort of bucket list and your travels. But what I what I've realised, you know, I've, and maybe it's part of me getting old. I can barely remember yesterday. Never mind, <laughs> like five years ago. But you have this attention to detail, and um, I mean, it, it, do you think is that? Do you think that's
1: only only in that book?
0: <laughs> only in that.
1: Yeah. Um, the reason I say that is some someone asked me once they say um how can you write a book how can you remember 20 years and i'm i was like well i don't i i don't of course i don't remember everything 20 years ago but the bits i remember are in that book
0: yeah <laughs> I, yeah, you know, so,
1: yeah you know probably don't remember all the mcdonald's that that the that, that i ate or you know how many times you wash your an, hands in 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 my year in hong Kong. i won't i won't
0: but you remember yeah. what you're remembering is the experiences, yeah. right? And I guess it that was... goes back to your um, to your your life's motto is have experiences as many experiences because that's what you're going to remember in life, you know, when we're all, you know, on our deathbeds or whatever and you haven't... It was my mind. coming
1: of age, Sonia, wasn't it? You know, I've been in the military, so I was quite sort of regimented and, you know, you don't, you're not really on the path. No disrespect, but you're not really on the path to enlightenment when you're in the military because it's not what we do. You know, we 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 go and fight conflicts and then we buy mountain bikes. It's not. You're not thinking about you know mindfulness and empathy and all this kind of stuff, right? So, my Hong Kong for me was I was out the military. Now I'm a, I'm finding out about myself. Mm. Um, you know, when you're in a nightclub. And the most gorgeous girl in a nightclub walks across the dance floor and starts dancing with you. Well, I'm 25 years old, Sonia. Right? I'm. I'm never going to forget that, am I? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's, very <laughs> it's um. Do you, look, an honest. Um, a, a quite a weird question, but do you think the drugs? changed your life and I'm going to say in a a good way and you can read whatever you want into that and I'm not again I'm just saying I'm not suggesting anyone take drugs I'm just saying in terms of how it changed or opened up your mind
1: well I just I'll be perfectly frank I have lived with addiction my whole adult life uh well since I was 10 years old. Okay. At 10 years old, I'd rush home from school to put the kettle on to make a cup of coffee. I didn't know why I want you know. I literally with the bus would drop me off, and where all the other kids walk home, no, I'd run because I couldn't wait to get what I now realize was a hit, right? I just didn't know why, but I really love to drink this coffee after school. I'm 10, right? 10 year olds shouldn't drink coffee, I'm sure, but So, so the addict, you know, the addictive behavior was already there because I was a damaged kitty, wasn't I, you know, the damage had already been done. So my mind is already seeking this pleasure or, or, or seeking to numb what, what was pain, although you don't realize it's pain. You just think you're normal like every other kid, but obviously, you know, such such early traumatic experiences really they never leave you you know they, they they're they physically with you every single day for the rest of your life that's my experience you just find ways to manage them and then you learn to appreciate them because like i say i wouldn't have my boy if i hadn't had the life that i'd had right so i i i want to try and make this clear just for me if nothing else that you take drugs, you've got to be prepared to die, right? You take drugs with someone you love, you've got to be prepared that they might die, right? It happens. Fortunately, statistically, it's incredibly rare, but the longer you use substances, the more likely you will cause long-term damage to your health, your mental health, uh, you will risk dying or you will see friends die. So, my best friend Lee, or let's say one of the best friends I'm fortunate to have, he drowned when we took LSD um, in Portugal one night, right? Wow. So, I. Were
0: you both tripping, tripping at the time? Or was he-
1: tripping off my head on the strongest not even going to say it but you know what known to man it's called liquid right it's, it's not something i've massively ever done sonia I, I, we were just experiment i was experimenting right but you know i had to you know wander down to the lakeside off my head. i mean you you are off your you're tripping off your head and i had to go and get my mate's dead body you know um Uh, This is what happens if you mess with drugs, folks, you know, not, 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 this is what can happen is what I'm saying, right?
0: How did you, how did you recover? Because obviously you're sitting there today and I, I I mean, I don't know, uh, when did you last have any, any drugs?
1: Oh, it's like that. I'm not going to answer that because like the drugs has never been my problem is addiction is is you know it's a mental health condition and i will always have to be aware of it and what we need to get away from in society is judging people on what we physically see them doing that's not any marker of anything anything in this area right all you know you can see for example like somebody taking a substance right they may have had 20 years of problematic use and the family's been through it and the you know they've lost friends and they they've got marks all up their arms that will never go away right but but they might actually at that moment you see them be closer to the biggest breakthrough that they've ever
0: mm.
1: had right it's called cycle of change right can be one step forward, 10 back, but then suddenly
0: that one, step.
1: one step back, 10 forward, right? So I, I just, am really conscious of, you know, drugs do not cause addiction. Anyone who says that is lying to you, right? Or, or that, yeah. you know, what causes addic- the driver of addiction is traumatic, for the most part, traumatic childhood experiences. It's a mental, it's a learned psychological disorder, right? That's what it is. And if you learn something, you can unlearn it. But for us old dogs that we've done this a long time, it does become harder, you know, the older you get because your brain, allegedly, the neural pathways in your brain become a bit more fixed and they're a bit less flexible. Um, But just to, to continue what I was saying, my. Best friend Simon drank himself to death, right? This is your best mate in front of your eyes. You first see their liver go. You know the liver's gone because they fill up with water like, like the bloody Michelin man. It's, it's awful, right? Um, they then enter full-stage um, organ failure. That's where their legs are not exaggerating here. Their legs become as big as an elephant's, right, where this Fluid is just unable to be processed in their body. They then go into the, the the life support machine, and that's when you have to go and say goodbye. Um, that happened to Simon. My, another chap, I won't mention his his name, but lots of people who, who who are in the Marines family know probably know who I'm talking about. He was another, you know, good mate of mine. We 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 didn't we didn't always get it. You know we didn't always get it on but but deep down we loved each other you know and and i watched him go through that exact exact same scenario um and my own situation it, you know i when i came back from hong kong my parents had were told by the medical community uh, in fact there's a, a letter in here um sonia um i I, I won't waste time getting it but it's something to the effect of or is it it, it's something to the effect oh there it is that it's that letter there uh it's written by someone who very kindly offered to be my solicitor free of charge because i was that unwell and it says and they're writing to my bank because I'm like £8,000 overdrawn, right? Um, and it's something like, um, we're, we're, we're acting on behalf of uh, of Christopher Thrall. Uh, Mr Thrall's regrettably suffering from a severe psychiatric illness. At present, the prognosis is poor. Mm. There are no assets. blah, 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 blah. Um, we're in, in the process of enduring his power of attorney. So I can't look after myself. My my parents are having to have that. Um, as to the final prognosis, it is thought that any firm indication will be, won't, will be possible until a period of, sorry, I'm, I haven't got my glasses on, but basically, um, Although as we have said, the initial medical opinions are that this is going to take some years before Mr Thrall is better, right? So basically my parents were told probably would never recover. You might want to think about putting him in a mental health unit, right?
0: So, so just to sort of skip along a little because I'm conscious of the time. So you, you, you've come back to the UK um, and I know we've missed the whole triad bit, <laughs> bit out of your life story. Um, uh, yeah. We can touch on that, but y- you came back. How did you recover, um, or how did you get over it? I- I- and I, you know, I-, I think that's a really important part of this this sort of podcast because we talked about your sort of yeah of the drugs itself.
1: What I did, Sonia, forms my advice to people now. So I got some very basic paradigm um very basic actions let's call them so that moment i told you when i have my moment of enlightenment Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i i did several things i said from this moment on in my life every single day i wake up i'm going to look out the window i'm going to look for the sun even if it's behind a cloud i'm going to thank mother nature for giving me this one life you know because i got mates, no, uh, as I've told you, no longer here. They'd love to still be here, but they ain't. I live my life for them, and I live it for me. Mm. And I love life. We are so lucky. I mean, it's a crazy experiment. I don't understand it. I don't know why we're here. I don't know if I'm even bloody real or if I'm on a computer game or something. But I don't care. It's brilliant, right? It's a beautiful planet that we have. I'm so lucky to have seen as much of it as I am. Every morning, I say, morning, son. Thank you. Right. That's me telling mother nature that I'm grateful to be here. I then take action. I jog around the block. Right. Even if I walk a quarter of a mile, it's irrelevant. I take action. I show myself that I'm capable of carving out my own future by putting one foot or one thought in front of the other. Um, Great way to break through like mild depression you know when you wake up those mornings and everything just seems like what am i bothering for get up jog around the block right check my Strava; it's like 0.9 every morning it's it's all a, like, you know um so that's that do one thing in your day towards your future at least one thing so when you're really struggling and you've got to remember, the reason I was on that sofa bed for 18 months, Sonia, and I could only get off it if I had jug- drugs to inject in my arm, is I was chronically depressed. I come from Hong Kong, where it's just mental and amazing, and I love my life over there, albeit I was off my head. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm,
1: I'm, now, I'm now back in inner-city bloody England, where it's boring, where it's expected to – I won't qualify for anything, you know? Uh, I could only get menial laboring jobs, which no disrespect to laborers, but you know, when you've been a Royal Marines Commando living yeah, life, I guess, to the full, I guess,
0: like the future looks bleak, right? Yeah. I guess
1: now, now I couldn't even get a job on a building site, I couldn't even get a job screwing the tops on tubes, t- I wasn't qualified. I, I, plus, the fact my self confidence was all sh- like, you know, kind of shot to pieces, right? So, that's what I did. As far as the substance use was concerned, I looked at it I thought, well, I'm not going to be a, a new evangelist. I'm not going to go to one of these groups and be singing from the rooftops. Yeah, I used to be a bad person, but look at me now, because I'm, I wasn't a bad person, Sonia. I had a mental That's health fun. condition. You know, I had a mental health. I was ill. Right. Um, I wasn't going to regret my actions of, of the past. Why, why? Why should I? Some of them were quite good fun, you know, but. So, but what I did do is I promised that rather than spend all my money on drugs, right? And I didn't have much money because I was on benefits. I thought, right, going to buy one bag of speed a fortnight. When it's gone, it's gone. So I'll have my manic thing. I'll pretend that I'm an artist or I'll start writing that book that i have been meaning to. But when it's gone, it's gone and I don't chase it, Right. And what happened is, by following these simple principles, my life become irrevocably, is that the right word? It becomes significantly better, right? Even just cutting the drug down to once a fortnight instead of trying to do it every day, I start to see changes.
0: And how long did it take? How long did this, presumably, you had to stick with it every day?
1: Well, it... as far as substance use goes, that's been my whole life, Sonia, you know, um, uh, the differences as I've got older, it's just become few and far between to the point where I am now, um, where I've realized life's natural high is way better than anything you can buy. That doesn't mean I don't still have to negotiate the addictive psychology. Mm -hmm. For example, you call me an idiot now. I get upset. My mind knows how to not be upset. I'll pick up the phone and I call that guy and he drops something up, you know, and then I've shifted my con my state of consciousness, right? This is um but you know, you 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 get old, don't you, and you, you become a father, and then it's not about you, and that's a little bit more motivation to keep, you know, to keep it going the right way. You look at alcohol use. You look at what a toxic poison it is in society. How um, how it brings you down off the beautiful. What's called Kundalini spirit. You know your um, connection with.
0: I mean, alcohol is. Look, I'm not. I'm not going to say anything about it. I, you know, I, I have a drink, um, but it isn't. It, it, I just the fact that it's legal <laughs> and everyone does it. Yeah. The majority of people does it, and and yet people judge. Drugs, um, I think is the whole thing is a bit hypocritical as well.
1: Yeah. I moved to I've just from that very dark point in my life, I've just moved, I've just gradually moved away from it, Sonia, you know. And as I've done, I've never stopped learning because you know, I I was dying, so I had to learn, right?
0: Chris because we are running out of time and and I haven't mentioned your bucket list, but I'd love to have you back on. Yeah. Just before we finish this, I just want to round this off and I've asked.
1: Are you happy today? I'm happy every day. Um, I feel I need to elucidate on that. So people don't get the wrong idea. That doesn't mean I don't have challenges in my days. It doesn't mean that some days I wake up and life isn't the way that I really want it to be it's just that when you're enlightened you live in paradise because paradise is in your head and if it's not see, you know if your outside life isn't seeming like you're you're hitting it it's because you're not thinking right you know so I'm very fortunate Sonia I can always just take myself back to that you know back I can peel back to that point and and remind myself i'm the luckiest man on earth i want for nothing i've achieved every single thing that i ever have but that's not a requirement to be happy it's that's just i'm very fortunate in that um and yeah i have a, the wonderful family and yeah i yeah, i i i i just genuinely am i'm i'm just i'm very i, I practice gratitude as well so not really allowed to say that. I'm not allowed to complain.
0: <laughs> Chris, look, come to my last question. But before I ask this, um, I'd love you back on my show because we, we've only literally just sort of touched on um, on part of your life, and we haven't talked about. G- Could you give the, the, the audience a little bit of a, a quick snapshot on some of the adventures that you've had, just very quickly?
1: oh gosh so
0: and then we'll go into it in the in another episode
1: yeah so i as you mentioned i worked in the nightclub in hong kong that was actually run by the 14k which is one of hong kong's triad families i was never a triad nothing like that i was just they always would employ a western doorman because of the mixed the mixed race clientele coming into the place they needed someone that could um stop any argy-bargy between the Chinese men who were all freaking hard as hell, like bloody, you know, psychopathic versions of Bruce Lee, right? And the drunken expat Hooray Henrys coming out of the, the, you know, that was never a good meeting there, right? My job was to get in the go, guys, guys.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: so that, that, that was interesting, but I did get to see a few things that were a bit full on, one one of my fellow doormen was actually an assassin, so he was smuggled into China every now and again to go and do a hit on somebody. The other guy, he was a street fighter. And they're all just mental fighters, Sonia. You know, we think we can fight over here or whatever. They just, they're mental. They just take it to a whole another level. So I got to see some some of that stuff. They communicate in sign language, which is fascinating um there was that so um, as i said i'm a qualified pilot qualified skydiver
0: and uh, you've raised so much money for some amazing causes um one of which was um uh veterans and suicide
1: yeah i've probably all in all probably raised around about fifty thousand pounds now for charities oh, including yeah, including when i went to work in uh Post war Mozambique, I taught street children um, in a place called Nikala in Mozambique. That was great. I've driven volunteer journalists to India and back by coach. Um, so, across the deserts, we drove to India so we could write articles on people living in poverty. Uh, I've backpacked through every single country in North, Central, and South America. I've achieved my silly childhood dreams, like diving off the cliff in Acapulco. Not not from the top, folks, but anyone who saw that Elvis film knows what I'm on about. (laughs) I've caught piranhas in the Amazon basin. Um, I've camped out in the the rainforest down there. Um, You know, seen the sights like Machu Picchu. Dived on the. I've dived in beautiful places all around the world, including at the Antarctic Polar Circle. I've um, dived on the Barrier Reef. I've been uh, taken, kidnapped in the, in uh, the jungle in French Guiana, which was.
0: Oh my god, that sounds like a whole story. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it was a very short-lived kidnapping. Um, yes, there was subs, a, a substance deal involved, we can say, but we'll, we'll take that the next time. Um, but basically when two guys in a pitch black jungle pull out a sheaf knife, <laughs> it's, things get a bit exciting, right? Um, what else? I've had quite a few kind of little run-ins like that around the uh, uh, you know, during my travels. Um, I've chopped fish. Up near the Arctic Circle, up in, while um, well, living on a small Norwegian island, drinking moon, moonshine for a year. That was quite fun. I've
0: got to say, and right now, I'm, I just want to be there. I want to be doing something, maybe not oh. all of them. The machete being kidnapped, I think I could definitely leave out with some of the other bits and pieces.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, as I say to my, my, my team, my team are wonderful people out there. You, you get one life. If you live it right, one is enough, right? And
0: well, I guess that leads me to my last question. Um, and, and I think I know the answer to this. Um, and that is, if you were to write a message in the bottle for future generations to find, what would that message be?
1: You get one life, smash it
0: love it chris thank you so much for being on a guest a guest on my show please come again because <laughs> I yes. feel like, yeah we haven't scratched the surface hope you enjoyed the show remember there's a new interview out every monday so hit subscribe and like and you'll get it straight into your inbox